listening to My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Each episode, we look at the topics that can make our working lives difficult and explore how you can take action to improve things. We want to help you move from simply surviving work to thriving at work. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of workplace psychologists who are experts in coaching, training, and structured development programs. You can find out more about how we help people grow and develop at work by visiting our website, worklifepsych.com. Hello and welcome to episode number 35 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Pilar Ortiz. Hi, Pilar, and how are you today? I am very well, Richard, and how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. I'm in the work-life psych offices today, so it might sound a little bit echoey. We may also have some visitors as people walk into the wrong room, <laughs> which does happen from time to time. So please excuse any banging in the background. It's uh, people slamming doors. Uh, but I'm good. I'm good. And we're recording this on a Friday, which is also a change for us. It definitely. But is. needs must when we've got day jobs. Yes, very, uh, it's very, uh, but it's nice. I actually quite like it um, just because I have, I, I put my Fridays um uh, to I try and keep my Fridays as writing days, and uh, and uh, I was I've been away for the last two days, so it's actually not a really writing day today for me. It's more of a let's take life easy. So perfect for me. <laughs> oh great! I mean, I like I like the thing of having a theme for your days. Um, it helps avoid getting so stuck in tons and tons of small things that you you don't feel like you're making progress. Yeah. So um, I try and make Friday um, a lazy day, <laughs> but <laughs> not today. today is not one of those Fridays. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Um, today, we're, we're going to continue um, in part on our uh, theme of productivity, personal and professional productivity. But specifically, we're going to talk about what it's like to be coached if productivity is something that you want to work on. Because it's a question I get, can you coach people around this? And the answer is yes. But let me, let me put a little bit more detail around that. But first... We've got some news and some updates. So as ever, we'll group our news against our three work-life psych themes of productivity, well-being, and effectiveness. And very briefly, and I came across this on another podcast a couple of weeks ago. It was a tech podcast. Um, I want to share an app because I think this is genius. Um, if you are uh, someone who has to work on the move, you might be on a train, um, on your way to uh, a plane, you might be tethering a laptop to a mobile phone, and you're really frustrated by the terrible internet connection you have, and you have an, an email in your outbox and it's just not leaving. You ever had that, Pilar? <laughs> no, <laughs> because I don't. <laughs> I try not to, but yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's very frustrating. Yes. And often it's because your laptop is doing something else in the background. And if you think about it, it's it's possibly using the internet connection to uh, upload your holiday snaps or uh, synchronize big documents mm. in the background using you know Google Drive or Dropbox or one of those really helpful things. But when bandwidth is scarce, that's not so great. So this is a little app called Trip Mode that when you install it on your laptop, you can then say, look, when this is active, please don't do these things in the background and just let me 
access the internet via a browser or just just let me do email. I thought it was genius and I'm I'm going to get this for my laptop because uh, it's a real frustration when I'm on the move that the important stuff isn't happening uh, because of all the background stuff. I didn't realize it was for the laptop. When I first read it, I thought it was for the mobile. Now I get no. it. Yeah. No, that, yeah. that's why, that's why um, I, I never, I rarely use my laptop on the move. That's why I, because uh, uh, I, I, uh, I tend to okay. read on the Kindle when I'm on the move. I don't like working on my laptop when I'm, oh, okay. Now I understand your question better. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Exactly. So I thought that was, that was a, a neat little app for, for those listeners who, who find themselves working on the move. Um, and I, I also, on the back of a conversation we had in another podcast, um, put my thoughts together on this topic that you asked me about previously, which we've termed productivity porn, uh, which is getting sidelined, spending too much time thinking how you're going to work instead of doing the work. So it represents a distraction, maybe spending too much time fiddling with your system or trying different apps when it, it represents a form of procrastination or distraction. Uh, and it's a real risk, especially if you're interested in this topic. So I've laid out my thoughts on that, uh, um, a blog post on the Work Lifecycle blog. A link to that will be in the show notes. But, but, but Pilar, what did you think of that? that as a topic? Because you asked me to explain what I, what I thought about it. I... I... I see so much of it going on, so much productivity porn. <laughs> and uh, and of course, I come across people who just know all of these methods and they try all these things. And um, half of me always thinks, well, that's really good, but you're going to become an expert in those methods rather than doing what you need to be doing. And it it's a great form of procrastination. Um, and it's a great way of consuming and thinking like you're advancing when actually it's, it's, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I'd, I'd love to hear what listeners think of that, actually. Yeah, maybe, maybe someone listening to this now, because they're interested in the psychology of the workplace, might fall prey to trying lots of new things. <laughs> um, and trying new things is great. But if it's at the expense of getting the useful, meaningful things done, then it can be a bit of a problem. And, and I think that experimentation can go too far you know, and, and re represent that distraction. So, so it's all there in the blog post and, um, you can find all, all that stuff, uh, on worklifesite.com and there's a, a blog link in the menu at the top, but I'll put the specific URL in, in our notes. So Pilar, in terms of wellbeing news, you shared a, an article with me that we'd independently read, um, about the health benefits of walking in nature. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about that? Um, well, the, the walking in nature was the one you shared. <laughs> it was, sorry, I'm, I'm mixing up my notes there. Yeah. So, um, do you want to start with that one or do you want to start with yeah. that one? No, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. I'm, I'm misreading my own notes that I, <laughs> didn't carefully put together. Um, I spotted, a, it's, it's, it's on the BBC and, and we'll link to it, but uh, summarizing some research about, okay, we've talked previously about how it's useful to walk rather than sit and be, uh, be mobile. But this specifically looks at the benefits of being in nature when we're doing our walking rather than um, being in a city or walking inside of a building. And there's some nice studies referenced here about the benefits and, and just how quickly we can get the benefits. One in particular talking about the, the primary benefits from being in nature coming in the first five minutes. And another study talking about the benefits being as beneficial, uh, a walk in the park being as beneficial as some very specific 
relaxation exercises that I know from my professional experience, not everyone likes to do. They find them a bit awkward sometimes. So potentially a walk in the park could be as, as useful to you as some indoor relaxation. Yeah, I particularly liked um, that bit that you're referring to about the, um, the going out uh, outside being as effective in relaxing us as relaxation exercises, because it, it It makes sense also in a way that uh, you're switching activity, you're switching environment. Um, and yeah, I think that's really important that sometimes just something really simple, we don't even have to think about stopping and doing an exercise, just going out and walking can have that same effect. I found that really interesting. Um, in fact, they said uh, the park walking group, so they, they compared a group that was walking out in the park with a group that was doing relaxation exercises. And he said that they felt more relaxed and detached from work and enjoyed the break more. Mm. It's, it's, yeah, it's more of a break, probably. I like that. They felt more detached from work. Um, very interesting. That, that's important um, because that's partly why we take a break, partly physically to move around and you know, help with our physical well-being. But psychologically, an element of detachment from work is important so that we can, in the workplace, have that social element and also stop working. Because sometimes it's very easy to keep working in your mind, especially if you're a knowledge worker or you're trying to solve some problems so that your break really consists of you working just in a different place. And I like also that the article, which is called actually, in case people want to Google it as, uh, as, as they're listening to us, it's called Why Walking Makes You a Better Worker. So very specific, really mm -hmm. interesting. Uh, I really like also that it lists a lot of physical benefits also that you can get from uh, walking outside. And um, one thing they don't mention, which I think is also uh you know, has to do also with the work related, especially especially for those of us that are in front of a computer, is your eyesight and just getting out into the in uh, getting out outside just gets your eyes working in a different way than when you're focusing on something that's quite near to you. And mm -hmm. I now wish I'd listened more to the parents of some of my friends when they say, get out, get out, because I was a real bookish girl and I hated going <laughs> out. I was very happy to be in my room all the time on my own. And um, now I'm thinking, oh, maybe my eyesight would be slightly better, slightly better if I'd uh, exercised, if I'd exercised the, my eyes in a different way. So I think that's also worth remembering if the nature of It job. is. And I, yeah. you and I probably had a different experience there because uh, when the sun came out in Ireland, it was like a national celebration <laughs> when I was growing up. So we, <laughs> we all went out to have a look at that strange uh, fiery ball in the sky. Um, but, you know, getting a break from a screen yes. is really important and not simply looking at another screen, yeah. you know, not having a screen and focusing in the, in the distance is, is a good idea. So this is great if you're near nature. I think this provides a bit of a challenge for people who feel a bit further further away yes. from from nature. However, I do know from reading elsewhere, and I will try and dig this out, it doesn't have to be immersion in nature per se, but being around natural things as well. So, you know, if there is a rooftop garden, for example, or um, there's a conservatory with plants in it, uh, if you're in the middle of a city, that could help as well. But if we think of what makes this up, it's about getting away from work and having a break. It's about moving around and it's about the feeling of detachment and relaxation that you get from some elements of nature. So some of our listeners, if they want to do this, might need to think a little bit creatively as to how they do this. And others will be really lucky. They're just a short walk away from a park. So 
If you do this already, we'd love to hear what kind of benefits you, you think you get from it. If you want to have a go again, we'd love to hear. Uh, you can um, tweet us at mypocketpsych or leave us a comment on worklifepsych.com slash um, contact. Uh, that's the, the specific address of that form there. So yeah, that was, I thought that was a really nice, uh, really nice little story. It is. And uh, so what it made me, um, I remembered then that I read the other day a, a, another piece of research, which is slightly older. It's from 2014, which is the, the article I shared with you, which is um, they did an experiment to see whether walking uh, affected how we thought creatively and whether there was a difference between walking outdoors or walking indoors just on a treadmill. And they found no difference in the study, which I found really interesting. Mm. And so when I thought, oh, I, so I, I read the one about nature, and I thought, actually, they've also found that just the very act of walking is um, is also, yeah, so, so if you can't go and walk outside and you want to feel a little bit more creative or you want to take a break or maybe you want to get your brain doing something different, then you can also do that uh, inside. So I, I thought oh, that was interesting too. And you said you'd heard of mm. this study before? I have, and uh, I, I've done some reading on this topic. Um, last year, I just got, you know, when you get sucked into a chain of uh, interesting articles and one leads <laughs> to another leads to another, uh, because I had started again my my walking commute to the office. And I wanted to know, apart from enjoying it, to, you know, what kind of... Um, good is this doing me? And I find it improves my thinking in that when I get to the office after an hour of walking, I'm keen to make a start and get ideas out of my head um, and write them down. I'm keen to get going. Uh, and that feels very different to when I take public transport into the office, which is a much, much shorter journey. Um, so when when the weather permits, I do that hour long walk and it, it's great. It feels good on a number of levels. It's interesting, though, that the walking, regardless of walking, contributes to creative thinking. Uh, it doesn't have to be outside. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. they said. I mean, they still need to do more studies, um, and I wonder whether they've done any more about why. <laughs> so they they don't explain mm, why, mm. but they said, yeah, they did this, and I really like it how they compared and and what they did. They also had so some people were pushed uh, out in uh, wheelchairs in into the outdoors to see whether it was the outdoors that made the difference, and they found that no, it was actually the the walking. So very interesting. Mm, Have a read. It's the walking, <laughs> and we referenced this in a previous episode. Um, once I came back from the CIPD Northern Ireland conference that I spoke at, uh, Professor Shane O'Mara from Trinity College Dublin has researched this topic as well and he's got a book coming out about the the brain benefits the healthy brain benefits of regular walking and from from memory i think he's talking about a brisk walk 30 minutes each day has a significant impact on your brain health over the lifetime so it's not about anything that is going to really take away from your day it's 30 minutes uh, which i think most people could fit into their schedule in effectiveness news, I, I thought I'd share this article that was shared by the British Psychological Society Research Digest, which pops into my inbox each week. Um, again, the link will be in the show notes, but I'd recommend it to anyone who's listening to this. If you're interested in psychology, this is a, a really good quality newsletter that summarizes good quality research and points you back to how you can find out more about it. This is an, an, an article about uh, let's say the unintended consequences of competitiveness and goal setting. And um, it illustrates that sometimes our competitiveness can lead us to sabotage other people's 
attempts, um, which then leads to a negative impact on our own performance. So if we're working towards the same goal, we may unintentionally sabotage other people's effectiveness, and then that can impact our own performance. Um, there's uh, a, a nice example here. Uh, say you're planning to run a marathon and you have a target time in mind, or you're on a weight loss diet and your aim is to lose six kilos in six weeks. Um, these are all individual goal pursuits. So you're not in direct competition with anyone else. Although, of course, if you're part of a running club or a weight loss group, uh, you'll be aware that others around you are striving to achieve their own goals. So it can be helpful sharing your goals and hearing about others. But a recent paper shows that in certain circumstances, we can't help ourselves from competing with others. And that can be uh, counterproductive to us. So it's not definitive, it's it's work in progress, but I think it's useful to make people aware that if you are working with others and you have a shared goal, uh, to think about what you might be doing that uh, is to the detriment of those uh, others' goal pursuit and how that might impact your own pursuit of that goal. So do you want to share it in the first place? Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to find yourself in competition? And, and what to look out for, that sabotaging of other other people's chances. And um, when that's done, what they found is participants eased up on their own efforts, what they call coasting. So once we've sabotaged, we take our foot off the pedal, which is a really interesting effect. I found this very interesting, especially because uh, subconsciously, well, not subconsciously, because I'm conscious of it, I get really competitive and I think this concept of not only do we start to see and, and to sabotage other people's goals, but actually in doing that, we relax. <laughs> we get a little bit more relaxed about our own uh, effort. And then that impacts on how we are approaching the work. I thought that was so interesting. Mm. So this competitiveness can bring out maybe a side of us we wouldn't maybe talk about openly, but also... Um, not only are we impacting their goal attainment, we're also negatively impacting our own. So bringing that to conscious awareness, we might want to really have a good chat with ourselves about what we do think of the other person's success. Um, and if we do want to share those very specific goals or just provide a bit of social support and cheer people on and hope they'll cheer us on too. So that's our, our news. Um, I would reiterate, Pilar, you said this on Twitter, I think the other day, that we, we love when people share news articles with us or papers, uh, anything they've come across that they think is relevant to this. So again, share it with us on Twitter at uh, MyPocketPsych or uh, send us something via the contact form on, on WorkLifePsych.com. We'd love to see what interests you and maybe you have questions about it and maybe we could critique it and see how uh, just evidence-based it is. Okay, so let's move on to part two today. We're going to talk about coaching for productivity, what it's like to be coached if productivity in the workplace is something that you want to work on. Pilar, what springs to mind when I say that, coaching for productivity? Um, it Lots of support, support and accountability. So having someone, I think, uh, having someone there to be accountable to as well as to myself, which I think would really help me. And mm -hmm. lots of uh, trying to find ways that are good for you rather than giving lots of advice. Um, yeah, that's what comes mm. to mind. 
Yeah, great. I would agree with all great. of that. Support and accountability. <laughs> the, the two things a coach uh, should be doing. Um, two, two really important principles. I think there's, there's two interesting routes that in my experience I've discovered when I end up coaching someone around productivity. Sometimes it's someone knocking on the door and saying, hello, I'd like to be more productive. And then we really have to understand, well, what does that mean for you and your job where you are, what do you mean by productivity? But actually, a lot of the time, this this comes up when there's a discussion around pressure or work-life balance or general satisfaction with the job or being unable to cope. And what we realize after a lot more discussion and peeling back the layers is that there's some maybe fundamentals of productive working that aren't being addressed. So maybe someone isn't prioritizing their work or maybe they've slipped into the habit of using their weekends to sort of mop up uh, unfinished tasks. Maybe they haven't got the capacity or the confidence to push back on extra demands. Um, Maybe they procrastinate a lot, but that's not front of mind for them. What they're really experiencing is the pressure and the discomfort and the unpleasant feelings that come with that. And so they want that addressed. So sometimes we have to take a few steps back to talk about where is this coming from rather than let's help you cope with these feelings that you're experiencing. So that that's an observation I'd share at the very beginning. There's many routes into coaching for productivity. <laughs> And I suppose the topics are many and varied. Procrastination is really common. We've spoken about it on the podcast a few times before. I've spoken about it at events. I've written about it. It's almost part of the human condition. The coaching element is about uh, helping people understand how they're contributing to that. What what story are they telling themselves um, that enables them to push things unhelpfully? into the future and how they can change that habit because procrastination is a habit that can be unlearned and replaced with something that's more useful. But interestingly, I had a conversation at a workshop a couple of weeks ago where it was coaching skills workshop where someone actually said, oh, I'd be very surprised if something like time management or productivity came up in coaching with senior people. And that for me represented the assumption that, you know, time time management or productivity <laughs> skills is for early career people and then it's sorted when actually I don't think it's it's ever too late to cast a critical eye over how you work and if there was a better, more efficient or more sustainable way of doing that. And honestly, I've had conversations with really senior people about how to prioritize their work that have been light bulb moments for them. And I wondered how they'd not thought about this so far in their careers. And there's lots of reasons why that might be, but it, 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 it doesn't mean it's just for people much earlier in their careers. Because also what coaching is doing is providing that space, as in actually time, and uh, to, to do something which we often put to one side, because it, which is ha- to think about how we're working and whether we're working on the right stuff, etc. And, and like we've talked on this uh, podcast about whether it's in line with our values, etc., etc. So, yes, there's no reason why. Uh, at all levels of your career, someone who gives you that space um, is is not going to be valuable. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and and also it's not about necessarily complex changes. Mm. Uh, sometimes it's very very simple things. So um, again, I've, I've put my thoughts on on this into a blog post, and we'll share a link to that about. It can be very simple things that you that get you a great result, regardless of what level you're at in the organization. I'm reminded now as I speak about a, a, a delegate who was on a leadership program I ran a few years ago, and 
It was, you know, two weeks of residential learning stretched across the year. It was global in its scope. It was, you know, top stuff. And in a coaching session afterwards, they said their biggest takeaway was learning how to prioritize their workload and sharing that with their team. And I was stunned out out of all the things we covered. But it's not for me to say what's more important. That's what got them a great result. And it uh, resulted in efficiencies and lowered pressure. And there was fewer arguments because everyone was looking at the workload from a similar um, perspective. So they were speaking the same language. Um, so actually the, the, the topic from our productivity principles that we're looking at today speaks to this. It's the, the principle of process by which I mean being organized, understanding what is involved in your work and having a way of working a system that works for you. And often that's what comes up in coaching a lot on this topic. You would be surprised at the number of people who carry around their workload in their heads yeah. rather than making notes about it. Or when they're really senior, relying on someone else to tell them that stuff. You know, that's with my executive assistant. They'll remind me when something needs doing. So an over-reliance on our memory, which we know is really faulty, or not having a consistent way of working. So really important information is spread across different notebooks, apps, whatever you like, and and different reminders spread all over the place. So if you ask them the really critical question of where could or should your attention be directed right now, they're not sure how to answer that question. And working to the principle of process means that you know what you're responsible for, you have gathered all of your workload into a place that you're able to look at it all at the same time. And that could be a notebook, that could be an app, that could be a spreadsheet, whatever. But it's in one place and you know where work comes from. And that's, that's a funny thing to say. But I ask people in productivity workshops, where does your work come from? What do you think is the first answer I get? From my diary. Or from others. Okay. From others. The first answer I normally get is email. Oh, really? Oh, Yeah. New work comes to me via email. But you're right, because looking at your diary can remind you of things you still need to do, like prep for a meeting or looking back the way can remind us of something we promised we would do as a result of a meeting. But your work can come at you from phone calls, voicemails, notes left on your desk, you know. Uh, the, the the implication is not to rely just on your email to tell you what you should be doing. In fact, it's it's almost 100% the yes, opposite. <laughs> so having a system is not, here is my system I give to you. You must follow this system. But in coaching, we create one that suits the professional that I'm coaching, whether that be someone who is an individual contributor, a technical specialist, a team lead, or someone at, at C-suite level who reflects that they could be more efficient, they could be more organized, and they want to focus on the stuff that gets them a, a better impact. Mm-hmm. So again, it's a principle. There's many ways to interpret this, but by asking questions, I find that we get to the nub of it. You know, Where does your work live? Where are the pressure points? What tends to get forgotten? Um, where do you feel stress as a result of, of your workload? Um, what are the things that people need to remind you of? Um, and of course this is supporting and is supported by the productivity, productivity principles we've already discussed recently purpose. What am I here to do? What's the higher order, uh, meaning behind my role? I regularly need to remind senior, senior people that their job title isn't email inbox emptier. It's 
something much more meaningful and impactful. We've got the principle of priorities, thinking about the relative priority of activities that we do, but also how we're going to invest our limited time, attention and energy, and also presence, uh, being able to direct our focus effectively where we want to, when we want to. And if you've got a system, a process that works for you, you'll then know these are all the things that need to be done in the near future. You can then assign priorities to those things. You'll, you'll know where more work is coming in. You, you won't need to remember to remember because you'll be able to refer to your system and it takes some of that pressure off, that discomfort that, what have I forgotten? It's less likely you, you will have forgotten things because it will all sit in your system. And then you're able to look at life through the lens of priorities, through the lens of projects, and then the different tasks or activities that make up that project. So we're back to that hierarchy that we mm -hmm. talked about in previous episodes. So very simply, having a process means having a system that works for you. And that is where I'm a little bit critical of some of the literature out there because it's quite inflexible with its process. It presents it as this is the one process that works for everyone. And I would argue that there is, there is no such thing. I agree. <laughs> and it's, and it's, uh, it's making me think of, um, I could hear you. Think. <laughs> it's making me think of, um, of what I said earlier that Fridays is my day for writing. And to be honest, that's as far as my process goes. <laughs> But uh, but I do feel it a lot of the times. So I think, I don't know, there's just something in me that doesn't want to have a process for whatever reason. I can blame my chaotic uh, weeks that change every uh, from week to week. But but I do feel it a lot of the times that I am pulling work from different places. Uh, I've got better at getting stuff out of my head that, that mm -hmm. I've been very conscious of because it does. And, and I just think, oh, okay, I must do that. It's, no, you must write that down. <laughs> And where am mm -hmm. I going to see it? It usually goes into the calendar. But um, yeah, I really, I, I think if you can find a way that is very organic to you and that is very simple, I think that there's a lot of value. Well, that's often the conversation I, I have with coaches. How is this going to benefit you? Can you see the benefits of doing this? Because applying a process, even one you've created for yourself, requires a bit of behavior yeah. change. And that can be uncomfortable. So why do I need to write it down? Or why do I need to think about priorities? It just occurred to me to do it this way. So often it's about identifying the wins. Like for more senior people, it's easier to delegate when you're specific about the work that sits with you and you're able to send it to someone and say, you do this, please, you know, obviously. Um, or um, scheduling and knowing how much time you might need to assign to work in the future. And that's a skill in itself. Mm. So it's not just you need a process. It's let's come up with a way of working for you that enables you to remove some of this pressure, to get more specific about what's sitting on your uh, to-do list, to um, be able to talk about your work with more specificity, to delegate a little bit better, and given your role, to do the stuff that matters, not whatever comes in front of you next. Because, as we said when we were talking about presence, we're often surrounded by things that want our attention, uh, notifications, other people, the phone ringing. So having a system means that if you are interrupted, it's easier to get back into the swing of things because you've, you've a note of what's coming up next. And I'm minded about, you know, we have a system for this podcast, even though it mightn't sound like it. We do. We have a system whereby we drop ideas into a shared Trello board. We have a checklist for the activities that need to be done 
and it's the same for every episode, but we still have the checklist because why leave that up to chance? Make sure it's done and make sure other people can see that it's done. And so we work in a, a fairly standardized way, even though the content is really, really different. So that's what a system could look like. It doesn't have to be um, groundbreaking and it doesn't have to be necessarily onerous. And of course, we need to be flexible with that, which is something we'll talk about in a future episode. There's no point in clinging to a system if it's not really working for you in your context. So this could be as simple as I've got a little notebook in my pocket and a pen and I write things down as they occur to me and I make sure that I follow up with those thoughts or it could be something much more ornate because you've got so many projects on the go, so many stakeholders, uh, so much importance attached to those tasks that you need something a little bit more involved. There is no one process. So I'm sorry if you listened in today expecting that I would give you a process or a system, but it is about making one that's a bit more useful and relevant to you. Um, you just said something that made me think. So when... It happens. <laughs> <laughs> when I was saying I don't have a system, I, I think actually now I do have some systems, but I'm, I'm also mm. not aware. But I always have a system if I'm working with someone else, in fact, the first thing I do when I start working with someone else is make sure I have that system. So I'm thinking maybe sometimes if I need it, I need to think, okay, how would you do this if you were doing this with someone else? And that might help me to set something up. So if anyone yeah. out there is a bit like me in that way, yeah, maybe that can help. And that is a little bit like the delegation point. Mm. You know, if I needed to have a conversation with someone about this, would I be uh, embarrassed to show them this scrap of paper with thoughts on it? Or would it be better if I was able to show them the list that I've written down that's legible or is on an app or is in my calendar? So thinking about not just you, but the interdependence that you might have with other people can be can be really useful. As a general principle, there's a, a, a process that I teach on my productivity workshops that is very easy to explain and with practice can be done quite simply, but I call it the GRADE process, G-R-A-D-E. And that's just a, a, a thing you can do regularly throughout your day, which is G for gather, gather your work into a central place, notebook, app, whatever. But then when you look at that, you know, these are all the things that I need to do at some point. And once you've gathered it, it's about refining it. And it might be, you know what, this isn't an action I can do. This is an entire project. So I need to make sure I know that that's a project and not have it on my to-do list. Because as we said before, a list of projects will just lead to procrastination and a feeling of overwhelm. And then you assign A for assign. You might assign it to somebody else to do if you're delegating. You you could and should assign it a relative priority uh, and maybe assign it to a project if it's an idea you have. Then the most important, D for do. <laughs> we need to do it. And so we're avoiding that productivity porn. And then E stands for evaluate. How did it go? Could you have uh, done a better job with this? Could you improve this flow? Did something not work? And you need to remember to look there. So maybe it's you need to remember to listen to your voicemails when you're gathering, or you need to check your calendar when you're gathering. So G-R-A-D-E, it seems to be something people can get their heads around pretty quickly in the workshops. And we do it for real. We get them with their inbox and turn things into um, a process that can work for them. And it can give a, a little bit of peace of mind once you've done that and a little bit of clarity and specificity to it. Mm -hmm. So that's our principle of process when it comes to these productivity principles. We will continue that. We'd love to know 
if you're implementing any of this, as I said previously, this is all leading up to uh, sharing a, a paper on this as pillars of productivity and also offering some online training as well. So uh, keep listening for more details on that. That's going to be coming in the coming months. So Pilar, I think we're at the end of another episode. That's episode 35. Thanks everyone for listening and thanks Pilar for your contributions. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.